Our passage this morning, as we continue through the book of Philippians, is verses 118b through 26. And you can find this again on page 980 in the Pew Bible. So it's Philippians 1, verses 18b through 26. Give you one more second to turn there. This is God's word for God's people. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is God's word for his people. May we hear it, believe it, and obey it. Now let's pray. Almighty God, we ask that you would open your word to us. Father, who is so glorious, so mighty, who is so holy, and yet has come to us in His Son, sending His Son to us to redeem us, we now cry out to You, Father, that Your Spirit would illuminate this passage, not just so that we would have greater understanding in our heads, but so that this passage would change our hearts and affect our very lives. Father, we are so prone to looking to the things of this world for our joy and comfort, and yet this passage reveals what should be your people's greatest joy and comfort and peace and aim. And so I pray, Father, that, that for the sake of your church, you would use this text to press upon your people, especially those who are wandering, who are looking to the things of this world, looking to people for their identity, for their assurance. Father, show Christ this morning through this passage to these people who desperately need to see again afresh the glory and the greatness of Christ. Father, we confess that we are so prone to wander, so prone to look to other things, and we need you. We need your spirit to guide us through your word and to help us to apply this text. Give faith where it is lacking. I pray, Father, that you would warm hearts that are hard, that you would give us eyes to see Jesus this morning. We pray all of this for your glory and our joy In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in reading through this morning's passage, we come across a verse that should be very familiar to many of us. I I would say that arguably it's the second, maybe third most popular, most quoted verse in all of the book of Philippians, somewhere behind Philippians 4.13. And the verse is Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, in my mind, this verse is the obvious choice for me to encourage you to memorize from this week's passage, and it will be the one that we'll recite again next Sunday when we gather. So that's the memory verse for next week. 
And I've picked Philippians 1.21 because not only is it extremely easy to memorize, because it is. And if you haven't memorized one of the verses with us yet, I encourage you to hop on the bandwagon. This is one of those good ones. This is, you want to go with this crowd, the scripture memorization crowd. It's a really cool group of people, and, and you want to get on this. So if you haven't yet, I encourage you. This is an easy verse to memorize. Again, as we continue on, there'll be some more difficult, there'll be longer verses to memorize, but this is a great one to get on the bandwagon and to begin memorizing scripture. But not only is it easy to memorize, it is a verse that both challenges us to consider how we are living and at the same time stirs our hearts, reminding us of of why we were made and who our Savior is. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's so short, only 12 words in the ESV translation. It's nine words in the original Greek. But It's so packed with nourishment that we might think of this verse as something like a spiritual granola bar for our souls. Now, this is not one of those granola bars that's really just a candy bar with some oats on top that parents like me don't feel horribly terrible when we give it to our kids because there's oats on top as a snack or as a quick breakfast. No, it's not like one of those granola candy bars. That's what I call them, granola candy bars. Philippians 121 is, is like one of those expensive granola bars. You know, the kind that are made with real fruit and somehow contain more protein in them than a piece of meat. The kind of granola bar that is, is actually good for you. The kind that you might catch a marathon runner or a mountain climber or a bodybuilder eating for lunch. The first half of Philippians 1.21 summarizes Paul's driving ambition, his goal, his purpose in life. To live is Christ. The second half of the verse tells us of the promise that Paul has because of the gospel. To die is gain. This morning, I'm, I'm going to focus on these two phrases from this passage. So Philippians 1.21 will be our main focus because I believe they provide us with the key that if we turn, we'll unlock the door to a right understanding and ultimately a right application of this passage. To say it another way, if we get Philippians 1.21, then we can get the rest of the passage. The first phrase, to live is Christ, summarizes not only what is Paul's purpose in life, but what is to be every Christian's purpose in life. I've said this before, like we, we come up with these really cool mission statements, not just as, as groups and organizations, but as Christians. You know, this is my life verse. I'm not a life verse guy because I think the Bible is our life verse. So all of it, you know, we, we, some of us might tend to pick like the, the verses that really shouldn't be picked as a life verse. But, but I think a good argument could be made for Philippians 1.21 to be, if you're one of those lifers, nothing against you, all right? I'm sorry. Don't come after the sermon and pick a fight with me. I love you, all right? It's just not my thing, all right? There's just so many good verses. I can't pick one. But this verse is a great verse to, to ponder because it captures our purpose in life as Christians. Every Christian is someone who was born dead in their sins, was once spiritually rotting in their unrighteous, wicked, depraved state, was a lost rebel at war with God and under God's righteous judgment, and they were headed towards eternal death. Now I'm summarizing the doctrine of sin, Romans 1, Ephesians 2, and so many other places. That's that's what the condition was for everybody who was born outside of Christ after the fall and still is the condition for all those who are not yet in Christ. 
but because of God's sovereign, life-saving grace, every Christian is now someone who is alive in Christ. They have been born again through the power of the Holy Spirit by grace through faith in Christ. The Christian has been reconciled to God through the sin-atoning death of Christ. A Christian is someone who has been granted eternal life because of the death-defeating, triumphant resurrection of Christ. So dead before Christ and alive in Christ, if you want to summarize these two statements that I've just made. So you see, Jesus Christ is the source of life. A quick look at a few verses from John's Gospel will drive this truth home. So I'm just picked four passages, and, and they all get at Jesus being the source of life. You don't have Jesus, you don't have life, the Bible says. Jesus says it himself. John six forty seven and 48. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So for Paul, for me, for every Christian, the source of your life, if you are a Christian, is Jesus. And it is out of this truth that flows this second aspect that I want to look at, especially relating to live, to, to live is Christ. Jesus is also the purpose of life. So he's the source of life and he is the purpose of life. What Paul writes a little later in Philippians 3, 7 through 11, really the whole section helps us to, to see this connection, that, that Jesus is the source of life and he is the purpose to life. And I'm just going to read a, a portion of that, verses 7 through 11, because as we, as we work through it and we read it and we think about it, we can see this connection between Jesus being Paul's source and purpose. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ." the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's a rich passage. I'm looking forward to digging more into it in a few weeks. Okay, maybe a month and a half or two. All right, we'll, we'll see how fast we get through uh, the rest of chapter one and two. But we see from this passage that when God gave Paul a new life, he gave Paul a new purpose in life. And this is why there's no such, such thing as cheap grace. There's no such thing as an unchanged life. You meet Christ, you change. Some people don't like it. You start to act, and we've talked about this, Christians are weird, all right? I'm one of them, all right? You start, you start having different priorities in life. You start making decisions that you didn't used to make based on Christ. Because you have a new ambition, a new goal, and that is Christ. Paul has a new heart, and so he has a new desire. You think about your heart. 
you know, not just physically, but, but spiritually, as the Bible speaks of a heart. The heart is the, 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 the seed of emotions, and whatever the heart delights in most, the heart will pursue. And so now Paul, before this, pursued righteousness in his own works, in his religion, in his ability to keep the law of God. And, and now in this passage, we see he realizes he can't. And it is only in Christ that he can be righteous before God. Paul came to know the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, his Lord. I love that phrase, the surpassing worth. Not just the worth, but the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, his Lord. And seeing with new eyes everything he once thought was so great was now rubbish. I don't want to go too far into this word because we'll look at it more uh, in, in when we get to this text, but dung, it's, it's manure to Paul in light of the glory of Christ. This is the change, this is the, the switch that has been flipped in Paul. And so he set it all aside, everything he once found his identity in, everything he once trusted in, everything that he once treasured in order to gain Christ and to be found in Christ. Christ became Paul's purpose in life because Christ became Paul's treasure. You see that connection? Whatever your purpose is, is your treasure. Whatever you're living for, whatever's driving you to get up in the morning ultimately, is what you are treasuring. And I've quoted him before. He's had a major impact on, on my, my life, on my, my gospel ministry. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, he, he's known as kind of the last uh, Spurgeon, kind of in that line, great faithful, godly preacher who God used to, to, to kind of hold back the tides of, of Protestant liberalism in Great Britain. Great godly man. You can actually listen to his tapes, they, they, well, his, his audios now, um, because they, he, was the, he was taped. And so I encourage you to listen to him, and I've done it before. But, but Martin Lloyd-Jones explains Paul's statement for to me to live his Christ this way. He says, There are certain demands I make of life. There are certain things I'm looking for. I'm looking for peace and joy. I'm looking for happiness. And Christ completely satisfies me in every respect. I have an intellect. Christ satisfies it, says Paul. I have feelings and desires which need satisfaction. Christ is my all in all. Every demand that I make of life is more than fully satisfied in Christ. That's what Paul means by saying that living to him is Christ. The reaction to things that happen and all the demands of Paul's nature and his personality are fully satisfied and filled. Then Lloyd-Jones goes on to ask this question. My dear friends, can you say the same thing? I'm sorely tempted, he says, just to stop at this point and ask that question over and over. Are you fully satisfied with Christ? This, to me, is the very essence of the Christian position. The thing that makes a Christian is Christ. Christ is always central. He is everything to me. Living to Paul meant Christ. End quote. Church, Paul was captivated by Jesus. He was a man on a mission to win the greatest prize, and that prize was Christ. Christ is not a means to another end for Paul, He's not a route, a road that he gets to take in order to enjoy a paradise that all revolves around Paul. Christ is the means to Christ. Christ is the means to God, the glory of God. Christ is the means of life. And Paul was consumed with Christ. 
He knew that Jesus is most glorious. He knew that Christ is where life is found and what life is all about. It's huge, this big picture of Christ. You can't have a man-centered view of God if you wrap your mind around this phrase, to live is Christ. It's not about you. It's about him. Whatever our hearts find is most worthy to be treasured, we will make our purpose in life. For some, it's money. Some, it's fame, comfort, self, career, hobbies, sports, or family. But for Paul, it was Jesus Christ. Having beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, he wrote that in 2 Corinthians 5. He knew that nothing in all of life compares to Christ. It was true of Paul, may it be true of you and I. And this reality, this biblical truth, is why Paul says, for to me to live is Christ. And it controlled Paul. It affected how he thought. It changed his worldview, how he, how he talked, how he lived his life. And, and we can even find examples of, of this in our passage this morning. Examples of how to live as Christ was displayed in Paul's life. And as we think about them, I want to encourage you to think about how this should change your life, how this plays out naturally in your day-to-day life. You don't need to be an apostle, and you won't be an apostle. I'm convinced that that office is closed. However, like Paul, to live is Christ. If you believe that, if that's the heartbeat of your new heart, well, then it's going to play out in your life. And Paul, in this text, gives us some examples of what it's going to look like. The two examples that I want to point you to, and there are other ones in this text, uh, can be found in verses 18 through 20. Please look at them again with me. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now in the previous passage that we covered last week, Paul rejoiced because the gospel was advancing as a direct result. He tied it directly to his own suffering. He saw that it was God who had ordained his suffering so that Christ would be made much of, so that Christ would be glorified. Here in verses 18 through 20, Paul gives us another reason why he is able to rejoice while he's in prison, while he's suffering. And it has to do with his deliverance. Now the word delivered here can be and is often, most often translated as salvation in other places in the ESV. Now at first it might seem that that the deliverance that Paul has in mind, the one that he's referring to here, is his release from prison. We know from the verses later on, verses 24 through 26, that Paul was convinced that at some point he was going to be released and after his release he would be able to visit the Philippians and encourage them and strengthen them and and be to them a joy. But I don't believe that Paul is referring here to, to, in verse 19, his being released from prison. And here's why. At the end of verse 20, Paul says, whether by life or by death whether by life or by death. If he's referring to being physically released from prison so that he can go and, and be an encouragement to the Philippians and other Christians, well, that wouldn't make sense because that would require by life. You know, he's not going to be a great encouragement. He's not going to be able to, to bring the joy to them that he speaks of in the latter verses if he's dead. 
Also in verse 19, the this that Paul is referring to is his suffering in prison. Meaning that Paul is saying to the Philippians, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this suffering in prison will turn out for my salvation. It's, it, it's an interesting phrase. It's something worth digging into. This suffering in prison will turn out for my salvation. He's, he's not saying, I'm going to be delivered from this suffering. He's saying, this, this suffering is, is part of my salvation. Paul then is saying that through this suffering, he will be delivered. He will be saved. He's rejoicing while in prison, while he's suffering in his salvation, not in his coming release from prison. And here's the the connection to the phrase to live is Christ. Because Paul's goal is Christ, his goal is not to avoid suffering. His goal is not to live an easy life. His goal is Christ. Paul rejoices here because he knows that God has God is and God will save him. Not merely from prison. That's the small view. That's the earthly view of things. But that God will save him from everything. Here Paul is saying something very much in line with what he previously said in Philippians 1.6, another memory verse of ours. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's saying something like the truth found in Romans 8.28 that he also is used by God to write down in the pages of scriptures. That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul is rejoicing because God is using his suffering. He has ordained this suffering to make Paul holy, to help him trust and treasure Christ. There's something amazing that happens when we suffer in Christ, and our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Things that are important become so much less important to us, and Christ becomes even more important to us. How much of our lives are spent doing things that are not important? How many arguments, how many nights do we stay up late as Christians, just consumed with things that are not that important? But when we suffer, we don't have time. We don't have time to think about all those things. We're too busy if we're in the right state of mind, looking to and resting in and enjoying Christ. As it's been said so often, when you look at the seasons of growth, the the growth spurts in your Christian life, so often it's in suffering. And and Paul's able to rejoice because he, he knows that God is using this suffering that he's experiencing. And this is a great truth for our hearts to rest on this morning, church. It's deep, it's rich, it's biblical. It's better than three moral steps to improving your marriage tonight. All right? This will carry your soul as you struggle through fighting sin and the ups and downs of the Christian life. We don't need to fear the outcome of events. It's going to be hard. There's going to be many unexpected trials, sufferings, and hardships in our life. But God is sovereign over it all. He's ordained it. And his will cannot be stopped by imprisonment, our own sin, or evil. His will will be done. Like Paul, then, we can rejoice because we know that Christ is the purpose of life. That our present suffering will end. And in the end, we will be delivered 
we will be saved. God has saved us, justification. He is saving us, sanctification. And he will save us, glorification. Now, before we move on, it's important to see that Paul credits the prayers of the church and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in bringing him through his trials. To live as Christ does not mean to do things on your own, to be the Rambo Christian who thinks they don't need the church. He's He's crying out for prayers. And they're praying for him, and he's saying, through your prayers, church, and through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, The Holy Spirit is bringing him through these trials. We need one another, Christian. The Christian life, unless you're living in a country where there's no other Christians, in a place where there's no other Christians, is meant to be lived together in a local church. Oh, yes, there are imperfections in a local church. Welcome to the club. We are all imperfect this side of heaven. Ongoing sanctification. If we believe the gospel and we preach the gospel, guess what? There's going to be sinners in this place. There's going to be sinners among our membership role. There's going to be messed up situations and struggles and sin is going to happen. And yet we see from Paul that that if he needed other Christians, we need other Christians. We've been pumped this message for so long that that we can do everything on our own. You know, oftentimes the message that athletes and people that you know, become famous say is that, you know, I, what do you want to say? That my, my message is that if you try hard enough, you, 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 you grit your teeth and you just press on, you can do anything. And Paul's example is, no, you can't. You need other Christians and you need the Holy Spirit. Apart from the encouragement, the blessing, and you know what, what just practical means that God uses the church in your life to do? Hold you accountable. So many times in my life, I've struggled, there's been temptations, and a brother or sister will just share the gospel again with me. And, and they don't even know it. They don't even know that my mind was wandering, I'm being tempted, I'm, there's, there's a struggle in my heart to find someone or something else is more greater and, and more desirable than Christ. And, and as they share the gospel, they, they quote Philippians 1.6 or 121 to me. They, they walk me through how God has worked in their life. Oh, it, it draws my heart back to Christ. And then there's the Holy Spirit who works through God's word and his people. Apart from these gifts from God, the Spirit and His people, we're in trouble. To live as Christ requires the help of God's people and God's Spirit. And we, we see an, a second way that, that to live as Christ is demonstrated through Paul in this passage in what Paul says in verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says here, whether I live or I die, I want Jesus to be made much of because Jesus is everything to me. The word honor here means to magnify, to magnify. There are two commonly used instruments that many of us are very familiar with uh, that have to do with magnification, a microscope and a telescope. A microscope makes small things look bigger to us than they are. And that's not the type of magnifying that Paul means when he says he wants to honor or magnify Jesus. 
What Paul is saying here is that his purpose in life, his greatest ambition is to magnify like a telescope for Christ. Whether he lives or dies, that's what he wants to do. And even in his death, he wants to do that. A telescope helps people see things that are big but but seem small, like faraway mountains or stars. Look to them more like they truly are. Big, huge, enormous. Paul is saying then that he lives, his mission is to be a telescope in the hands of God so that more people will see Jesus as he truly is to be seen. Big and full of glory. Overflowing with glory. Paul has this huge Christ-centered view of the Christian life. He's got a great doctrine of God. It's all about God. The Christian life is about God. He is the source. He is the joy. He is the prize. And so now, understanding that, his desire, the, the way that to live his Christ plays out in his life is that he wants to be like a telescope that people can look at. You know, I don't want to push that illustration too far. And they're not looking through his feet, out his eyes to, to see the glory of Christ. You know, but, but you get the picture. He wants to, to function as a telescope so that people can see in him and through him more of the glory of Christ, the purpose of life. That's what his life is about and even what he wants his death to be about. That's what it means to magnify Jesus, to display him as he really is. And Paul says, I live to make Christ known. That's what my life is about, to magnify him, to show him as he really is to be seen in all of his glory and beauty and his excellency and his worth. Friends, this is to be the same for us. To live as Christ means that we will desire, we, we need to desire to magnify Christ, to show him to the world as he truly should be seen as the source of life and the purpose of life. I know, and I feel this too, you know, the, the, the culture that we're in, the, 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 this virtue that is being, being kind of bought into, even by us Christians sometimes, because it's hard to push against, is that, is that it's, it's rude to, to state absolute truth. It's, it's offensive to make any judgment that might come, uh, come across as offensive to somebody else, even if it's true. And yet, the gospel says that, that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. That, that there's no hope outside of Christ. And it's only if, if you trust in Jesus, if you turn away from your sin, repent and, and believe in Jesus, that one can be saved. And not only that, but, but we see in the pages of Scripture, Ephesians 1, that everything was made for him, and Jesus came so that he would receive glory. And so we can't help but bring this message to people who will reject it and at times hate it. But this is why we exist, church, to shrink back from our purpose. I mean, some of us, it functionally, are becoming more like microscopes. We, we, we're, we're filtering this huge view of God that we have down into through the, the microscope. And again, I'm not, I got to see in, in biology in college and all that stuff. You know, so this is not my expertise, so Forgive me, you scientist and science teacher uh, who, who is part of our church. Uh, but that's what we're doing. We're taking this big view of God that, that God has for us in his word as his people. And then we filter it down and we just give these people this, just come to Jesus. Just pray this little prayer and, and life will be better. He's just the piece. No, he is what you were made for. He is the one. He's not a piece of the puzzle. He is the puzzle. He's what life is about, is why we were made. And if you were saved, you exist to, to be like a telescope to magnify Christ.
That's why we exist, church, to magnify, to make known the riches of Christ. And as we share Christ with others, we, here's the great benefit. We get to behold Christ more and more. As we enjoy him with others, our joy in Christ increases. It's not just to be our duty, but our delight to magnify Christ. I was talking with my oldest son, and he likes to stay up late. We're reading this great series of books. This is kind of one of those side tangents. The Wingfeather Saga, it's wonderful. It's kind of Chronicles of Narnia meets um, uh, something else, Lord of the Rings maybe or something. Really good. But my son gets so excited about it, and, and we, were, we were talking about one of the stories in there, and, um, and it related to this point. There, there, there's nothing like the gospel. When you give food away, I know you get this good feeling for caring for somebody, and that's good. And you should, that, that's good. But then you have less food. <laughs> give food away. You give money away, you have less money. All these things. And, and there's a place, and it's biblical, and it's good to be generous with whatever you have. But here's the thing about the gospel. Here's the thing about Christ. The more you give of him, the more you get of him. The more you share with others, and you see them enjoying God. That's why I'm a preacher. <laughs> I enjoy God and I want to enjoy God more and so I get to enjoy God more as I share God's word and then I see other people enjoying God. When I see smiles on your faces and you talk about Jesus or as I hit a point and, and I hit this, hopefully, this great point and, and display God before you, I, I function as a telescope and your heart is enthralled and you share that with me, you send an email, yes! Yes! Because that's why we were made to, and that's why we exist. That's why we were saved. And and the more that we share Christ, the more that we share Christ, the more that we get to enjoy Christ. It's beautiful. So what are you living for, friend? Is, is Christ your all in all? Is, is life to you Christ? Is Christ's soul satisfying? Is he enough? Or, or must you have something or someone else? You say yes to Jesus, but that you must have more than Jesus. Otherwise, you won't be satisfied. Well, that's called an idol a competitor for glory in your heart. And you must let it go. You must crush it. If it's a person, don't crush us. Crush the person, all right? Just, just look at them rightly as a gift from God. And find Christ enough for your soul. Are you living for Christ or are you living for something or someone else? Is Christ your pur- purpose? Can you say with Paul gladly, to live is Christ. That's the purpose of life. I give one more closing thought to this section before we move on to the next phrase. How do you measure success? The world measures it in various ways. How good you look, how much money you make, how successful you are, you know, the, the, your ability to play sports, whatever. The, the world has a certain way to measure success, but how do you measure your success? If you're living a good life, I would, I would submit to you that it's to live as Christ. Are you living for Christ? Then you're living a successful life. Not a perfect life, not a sinless life, but a successful life. And so I, I want to kind of take out that, that thought that, that, that maybe is deep, deeply ingrained into your mind that, that I'll be successful if and when I make this much money, if my retirement fund hits this level, if I can retire by this age, if I have this big of a house, if I get married, if I have kids, if I'm this or that. Set that aside for something better, something more biblical to live as Christ. That's success. Well, this brings us to the second phrase. I will spend far less time 
on to die is gain this morning than I have to live is Christ. Not because it's less important, it's not (laughs) at all, but I believe that if we understand that to live is Christ, then we will be able to understand what Paul means by to die is gain. To die is gain is the Christian's promise in death. It reminds us of what awaits all who die in Christ. It assures us that God has more for us after this life, that more glory is coming. So we live this life for Christ, and we enjoy, and we pursue, and we treasure him, and we treasure him, and then there's this promise, but there's more. There's more. You cannot treasure Christ to the point that that when you die, there won't be more to gain of Christ after you die. And more glory is coming than what we have seen this side of heaven is the promise and to die is gain. But how can death be gain? How how, how can that be reality? How is it that those who have died in Christ now have gained more than we as believers now currently have? And that's what Paul is saying here. Those who have died in Christ, this is what he's, he's, he's believing, he's saying it's true, it's thoroughly, biblically faithful to what God's word says, those who have died somehow have gained something that we have not yet gained. How is it that friends and family and other brothers and sisters in Christ who truly believe the gospel and have died have gained? How is it that we will gain when we die? Question 40 of the Baptist Catechism summarizes it well. It's from the late 1600s. Again, we, we are a church that that says the final and total authority ultimately is scripture. And yet we value tradition and experience and emotions. They just must submit to the the authority of scripture. So here's scripture, here's tradition, here's experience and our feelings. Scripture is above and it filters and it it helps us to, to understand what we're experiencing and it helps us to not set aside tradition. We don't need to forget where we come from. We don't need to forget how God has worked through his church. And and so A catechism like the Baptist Catechism from the late 1600s is wonderful. And this is what question 40 says. It summarizes how we gain in death well. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? Catechism is question and answer. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? The souls of believers are their death, at their death, made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory and their bodies being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. Death is gained because the souls of believers do immediately pass into glory and are made perfect in holiness. After death, we will be face to face with our risen Savior. That's, that's right there. That's enough. That's gain. It's, it's a reality. Yes, there's grieving, there's loss, there's sorrow, and it It should be that way. Death is an enemy, the final enemy. But Christian, after you close your eyes in the sleep of death, you will immediately open them and see the face of Jesus Christ, your King and Redeemer, who bled and died for you. Jesus said to the thief on the cross in Luke 23, 43, This day you will be with me in paradise. That is why death is gain. After death, we who have been saved by Christ will have uninterrupted communion with Christ, who is our all-satisfying and supremely valuable treasure. 
you know, you think about life, you got to work sometimes. God made us to work, so it's not like we should hate work, all right? We, we grumble, we complain, we're going to get to a text that ad- addresses that. God made us to work. Adam and Eve, before the fall, were working, tending the garden. So it's not just a result of the fall. Yeah, it gets harder after the fall, but we were made to work. And yet, all of that fallen, difficult work, all of that stuff will be set aside. There'll be no more distractions. The one who we have lived for, we will at death have even more of. There'll be no distraction from enjoying him, beholding him, nothing to interrupt the sweetness of our fellowship with him. No sin will come between you and Christ. Not that it does as far as justification, but you know when you sin, you've got to go through that process of repentance and, and struggling at times with it and, and just the, the, the effects of it. Well, it's gone. And that is why death is gain. Considering these things, I, I, I want to kind of make some application from Paul's example here. Paul had one thing on his bucket list. One thing. Christ. That's his bucket list, short, sweet, Christ. He wanted to be fruitful for Christ. In Christ, he had seen greater glory than anything the world could offer him. Nothing compared to the glory of Christ. It all paled in comparison. It was rubbish in light of who Christ is and what Christ had done through the cross for Paul and what Christ has done for us. You cannot see anything or anyone more glorious than the cross in Jesus Christ. And yet some of us are so consumed with chasing after lesser glory. But Paul was torn. He desired to be more fruitful, to help others like the Philippians see and savor Jesus. His prayer wasn't to be released from prison so that he could spend the rest of his remaining days playing shuffleboard and drinking lemonade on the beach. He wasn't looking forward to living a few more years so that he can enjoy an apostolic retirement. He wanted to serve Christ and his church. Every breath, every heartbeat, that's his goal. He wanted to help others see the glory and greatness and treasure that is Jesus Christ because to live is Christ. But Paul also knew that to depart would be with, and to be with Christ is far better. So he was torn. It's a win-win. It's stuck. You know, we talk about being stuck between a rock and a hard place. Being stuck between glory and glory. Glory here Glory for, for others' good or glory with Christ in heaven? And that's the truth, friends, and it's only the truth if you know Christ that you can say these things, to die is gain. When Jesus is your purpose, your deepest longing, and your highest ambition, when you live for his glory and seek to spread his fame, well, life and death is win-win. More years mean more of Christ. Serving, being fruitful, rejoicing, Beholding his glory with his people, calling sinners to trust in Christ. More of that. Death means more of Christ in a different and and greater way. Life means Christ and death gains more of Christ. This is the sweetness, the joy, the promise of the gospel. May the Lord give those of you who do not yet see Christ this morning eyes to see this. You were made for this. To behold, to enjoy, to treasure Christ. Any lesser treasure will fail you, will let you down, will not grab hold of your heart now and forever. His glory never ends. We will spend eternity enjoying more and more of his glory. More amazing and more amazing. We'll say, he's great. 
And then a thousand years later, he's greater. <laughs> Thought he was great, but he's greater. A thousand years after that, a thousand greater. He's still greater. He's just great, great, great. And if he's not your treasure, that's not what you will say. You will say, I've wasted it. I've wasted my life. I've wasted it. So may God give you and all of us the strength and the faith to say with Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. God, holy and righteous, needing nothing from us, but yet for your glory sending your Son, not just so that we would be saved, but so that we would enjoy glory forever and ever in him. I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes even more. You've opened many of our eyes, but we want to see Christ better and bigger. We pray, Father, that we would be a people, a local church that is like a telescope in your hands to magnify, to exalt, to treasure Christ so that we would enjoy him more and the world would enjoy him more. We pray, Father, for our family members, our friends, co-workers, and our neighbors. It can be so hard. We can function so much more like a microscope than a telescope. And yet, Father, for their sake, so that they would enjoy Christ, we pray that you would give us strength to be bolder, to be centered on your word, to be unashamed of the gospel. For their sake, for the sake of their souls, so that Christ would be magnified and enjoyed by more and more. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.